Amen. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? Good to be together. You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to preach part two of Hezekiah. Not a life story, specifically this encounter that Hezekiah has with Sennacherib. And I felt like I needed to go into part two. But if I didn't go into part two, then I wanted to preach about the fourth man in the fire. And I think it's going to be the same sermon regardless of the text I use. And this song that we just ended here is, that's really the message I want to say to you. I could just say this now and we could all go home that God's with you. God is with you. You are not alone. He's with you. He's never abandoned you. He's never failed you. He's never forsaken you. And the amazing thing is, and that's what I want to look at here today, is that Hezekiah prayed and God changed history right then and there. And so uh, let's get into this today. There's, there's a lot that happened in this encounter. You're going to find this in 2 Kings. You can find it in Chronicles. You can also find it in Isaiah. Um, but there's this encounter between King Hezekiah and his adversary, Sennacherib. And he was ruler of the Assyrian Empire. And we touched on a lot of things in the story, but I didn't spend a lot of time on what I call Sennacherib's taunt. I kind of breezed through that, and I also didn't spend a lot of time on Hezekiah's prayer, on his response, but more the overall story. And we finally saw in the scriptures that God's dramatic intervention, sending his angel and killing 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Sennacherib is sent back to his homeland, uh, and he's assassinated just as God prophesied through Isaiah. And so we looked at those things, and I wanted to review. You can go ahead and listen to the podcast for uh, some more depth to last week, but I want to remind us of five things um, that we can learn from that part of the story, and then I'm going to get a little bit deeper. Number one, last week we looked at this, and I didn't necessarily assign them points, so today you can kind of take last week, which you can remember, and assign some points to them, to the thoughts that I was bringing out. Number one was, what's your fallback? Everybody say, what's my fallback? And you could also say it as, what's my pattern? Right? Is it a generational thing that I keep doing over and over again, that I'm doing that the generations before me did? Am I doing the same thing? Every time I get into trouble, do I little by little just end up getting back to the same mental state? Do I kind of keep thinking the same way? Do I keep doing the same things? And I keep getting the same result, right? That's the definition of insanity, isn't it? And so Hezekiah, uh, before praying and trusting God, uh, he stripped the temple of gold and he tried to pay off the enemy. That was his that was his generational pattern. That was the fallback. That's what his father did. That's what they did with enemies. They used to just kind of try to, instead of dealing with the enemy or dealing with an issue in your family, dealing with stuff in your life, the pattern was to kind of just cover it up for a little while. Maybe just push it aside or not think about it. And things don't go away by not thinking about them. They have to be brought under the blood of Jesus. They have to be broken. The curse has to be broken in the name of Jesus. We can't just not think about things. You cannot mind over matter your way into heaven. It doesn't work, right? The enemy tries to steal concepts from God and then assigns these weird titles to them, but they're demonically infused, and so of course it works. Of course, mind over matter works when you work for the devil, right? Their, their God is the devil. They don't know it. 
So it's not going to work for you. You can't just, you know, focus and not think about bad things and try to focus and think about good things. It's not going to work. So the pattern was to pay off the enemy. That's what he did. And so it brought him a little time, but ultimately not dealing with the issue and pushing it aside for another time means he's just going to come back. It's just a matter of time. It's going to come back. I don't want you to repeat that. Don't repeat it. I'm repeating it so you hear it. I don't want you to repeat it. It's not a statement I want you to get used to, right? But it's going to come back, and so you must deal with the things. What's our fallback? And we, we learn that, and you can look a little bit deeper uh, in your own time. You can read this story and really see these truths on your own, and you can listen to last week again. Number two, what facts are you believing over truth? All right, in the natural, we saw that the Assyrian army, these are just some things just to remind you so I can kind of, without preaching last week's sermon, I'm kind of prepping for today's sermon. The Assyrian army was, uh, they are credited as the ones who invented the first siege equipment to defeat fortified cities. They were literally the inventors of, the, of war, war style that would come against your gates and break down your gates and they, um, they were the first ones, at least history credits them, as using battering rams and siege towers, building towers to come up and over your walls. So in the natural, it would have seemed as Assyria came up to Hezekiah's walls, up to Judah, and said, let us in, it would have seemed in the natural that there's no stopping this. Especially because uh, at this moment in the story, when Assyria attacks Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel had already been defeated. These were their brothers, their cousins, their friends, right? Just right next door had already been defeated. The other 10 tribes had been taken away and were gone. And so now in the natural, it would have seemed as there was no stopping this force. And uh, the facts uh, were that Assyria was going to get in. They had the power to. But the truth was that God is greater. So I want to ask you what lies does Satan use against you? What facts does he keep bringing around to you to try to, it's, he's really just trying to get in. That's really the, what, and, 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 what, and that's what we're going to get into in a, in a few moments. His taunt is really to keep trying to remind you and tell you all these facts about your situation, about who you are, about who you were, and an effort really so that you open the door. He's not getting in by the power of God. That's what the story shows us. But if you open the gates, then certainly he's coming in. Number three, as I already mentioned, the enemy comes back. When we try to keep him tamed instead of defeated, let me say that again. When you try to tame the enemy instead of defeating the enemy, he comes back. Sennacherib, Sennacherib uh, came back after being paid tribute. And so I already kind of covered this, but I want to add to this now. And I was thinking of the phrase gateway drug. Who knows the term gateway drug? All right, it's what I, it's that the naive don't know it, but the addict will tell you that a gateway drug seems like an innocent drug, but it's just a gateway into the real stuff, right? The stuff that'll kill you, that destroys life. And so the same way, uh, this gateway concept, this is what the enemy will do. He will come back and he'll try to create compromise in your life, just a little. 
You know, I'm not asking, the devil says, I'm not telling you to stop going to church. The devil says, I'm not telling you to stop reading your Bible. He says, I'm not even telling you, stop praying. But it's okay if you watch this show. It's okay if you hang with these people. Maybe just have some drinks with some friends sometimes. No big deal. And little by little, who can testify that doesn't work, does it? Little by little, you end up just like the world that the, that the Lord fought and paid a price and suffered on the cross to break you free from. So it doesn't work. He's going to come back, and we cannot let him in. And the fourth thing is what gates, this is the question for you to ask personally, what gates or doors are we opening to the enemy? And he wanted to come in to the gate in Judah. It was not being opened as long as they kept it closed, but he wanted them to open it. That was really what he wanted. Instead of them having to, to warfare, uh, he says, just, you know, come on out and it will be, you can have some peace. So I was just meditating, thinking that the devil many times tries to tries to pose God's kingdom and God's plans for your life as a trap when, in fact, he's setting the trap that God's kingdom, listen, within the walls of Judah was safety, and when they trusted God and prayed, God said no arrow would touch their walls. That's what it says. But the enemy wants you to feel, and this is what Sennacherib, again, this is just a reminder, because I don't have time to get into all the texts. I'm just reminding you. He tried to intimidate them and tell them that they would be trapped in their walls, that they'd end up drinking their own urine and eating their own dung. And this is, this is what the enemy wants you to do. And who has heard this lie so many times, right? Christianity is boring. Hell is where the party is. And tries to trap Christianity in that staying within the boundaries of God's word and obedience to his word is a wall and it's a tr and, and, and you're just stuck and you're trapped when in fact that very place is in obedience to his word is true peace, true safety, God's presence, right? That's really what they had. And he told, Sennacherib said, if you will open the doors to me, you let me in, I'll take you to a better place than where the place you have now. And some just one thing is, you know, his his goal is bondage. The enemy's goal in your life is bondage. And I don't quite understand it all. And today's sermon is not to say this, is not to break this statement down, but I'm gonna say a statement here that needs to be said. We could get into it another time. I don't quite understand everything that our existence means. What I do know is that I was born a sinner. All right, let's just check off the list. All right. I don't need anybody to tell me that. Once you get saved, the closer you get to the Lord, you realize, wow, you know, you don't stop comparing yourself. It's not, well, I'm not as bad as that person, right? That's what the sinner does, who's still a sinner, right? The one that comes under the blood and realizes God's grace, you don't compare yourself anymore. You know who you are. You know your inclinations, etc. And so I know that. I know he died on the cross for me. I know he paid a price for me, and I know he promised eternity to me if I would stay with him to the end. All right, so these are the facts I do know. What I don't quite understand is what my life is doing here on the earth. Except that God called me salt, God called me light, told me to preach the gospel, told me to pray, told me to do all these actions. That means that even though we should focus on heaven, focus on the kingdom, it's not just it's not really a focus on a place or a time. 
but rather a focus on, on a, uh, a mental state of mind. Does that make sense? That I am not of this earth, that if I'm here and I've been redeemed and he's freed me from these sins, then my life must count for something and must matter. And he's asked me to pray. I said on Tuesday, why do we need to pray? Doesn't God know our needs more? You know, why would we pray when God, who's created the universe, just speaks and just does? Everything you saw was just, just is. I don't, you know, it's funny. Evolution says, you know, Christian evolutionists, they try to blend the two together. They were like, oh, well, I believe in God and evolution. And we try to give God more time, as if that makes a difference. Does God need a second, a millisecond, time at all, or a billion years? Really, you're talking about something miraculous here, just instantaneous combustion into us, okay? You want to talk about the Big Bang, God said, bang, and it was, okay? That's it, all right? That's the Big Bang. God's big, he said, bang, everything you see existed. I don't need to give God more time, all right? But here we are on this earth. God is so powerful, he's so great, that's our God. And yet he tells us to stand, tells us to pray, tells us to preach, this must matter. Your life, your territory, this is what I'm trying to say. The reason the devil, listen, even the physical land of Israel that we're talking about in this story, because I'm not talking about the physical land of Israel when we're talking about our lives, right? Talking, I'm taking this story and we're looking at the metaphors within it for us personally, dealing with Satan, dealing with God, okay? Do we, do we humble ourselves before the Lord like Hezekiah did or do we cower to Satan? That's the metaphor in this story. All right, but simultaneously, even this physical land is still being fought like tooth and nail to this day, right now. I mean, this is life. We're, we're in a war right now over this land. What is it about the territory, the house you live in, the ground that your feet are standing on? See, when Adam and Eve were created, they were put on the earth. God put them there for dominion. And I'm not, again, like I said, this is not, I'm not preaching this whole thing. I just, just need to hear a thought. You are here for a reason and a purpose, and it's not to be happy. Your purpose is not so God can show you how big he is and how cool he is. He does those things automatically. You know him. He's going to show you his grace. He's going to show you his mercy. He's going to show you his goodness just by knowing him. That's not the purpose. You were here as a representative of God. You were here to shine the glory of God on the earth. And so Satan came in and tried to trick humanity through Adam and Eve, right? You would have done it too, so don't blame Adam and Eve. I would have done it. It's just a matter of time. One of us would have done it. Rick would have done it. We'd all be in, we'd all be in now. So don't blame them. But your life is here. Your territory matters. And so the devil, you think, what's the big deal? A little compromise, you know, a little bit of world, or, or just a little, you know, you love God, but not quite the way you know that he's asking you to. You're seeking him, you're, you're, you're doing all the right things, but there's just a, you know there's another level that he wants from you, and you're not giving it to him. Why does that matter? It matters because God's glory is supposed to be shining on the earth through you, and so if you don't do it, it's not shining. It's just plain and simple. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. But I needed to establish this. So when Sennacherib comes, he's after your territory. Satan's after your territory. And, and you might think, well, I'm just one person. What's the big deal? And you have no idea the impact your life 
has on the world around you. And so that was much, I said it would be quick, it was not quick, but that the Lord wanted to say some things there. Amen. And, and that really segues into point number five, which is that to break his power, you must break the pattern. To break his power, you have to break the cycles. And how was the cycle broken? It's very simple. What they refused to do, what Israel, the northern kingdom, refused to do when Sennacherib, it wasn't him, it was his, his ancestors, came against them. It was right before him. Uh, but his, the Assyrian army went into Israel. When they went into the surrounding regions, they refused to repent, to humble themselves and see God. That's it. God didn't want to destroy them. That was never God's desire. Some people think there are theories that say all of this had to happen because Christ was coming. I just don't see it that way. I just see God so big, like I started to allude to last week. He can do both things at once. Jesus can still be in the works to come when he came. The moment he came, it was meant to come. He was meant to come. The moment was meant to happen then. Simultaneously, we can be making mistakes, and it's not just so Jesus can show himself that he's righteous. You were not, I, I just don't believe Adam and Eve were always destined to sin. I don't believe that. I believe God had a plan because he knows he gave us the choice, and so then he had an answer because God's always got, he always has an answer. Thank God that he's always got an answer. But it doesn't mean that he's got an answer because wouldn't that be an awful existence that you're like, well, God give me grace, but he knew, he already had the grace because he knew I would sin. Yeah, you could say it that way, but at the same time, what an awful way to live to always know that God's like, well, they're going to make a mistake tomorrow, and they're going to make a mistake the next day, and they're going to keep making mistakes. And I just don't see it that way. I see it that they made a mistake. I love you. Don't, don't let it stop you. Come back to me. Repent. Call on me again. My blood's still there. I still went to the cross for you. I still love you. And gives us life again. But I don't see this existence as, well, we're just meant to be failures so that Christ can shine. I don't see that. In fact, I think that was a lie that crept in from the enemy. It was a, it's a very subtle, demonic teaching, and it teaches us to be like, well, we're just sinners. I'm sinners, but I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And you might, the statement itself sounds powerful, doesn't it? But the concept, the reality of when you actually say that, what you actually are saying is, is I'm going to keep sinning, so I'm just going to get used to it. That's what you're saying without saying it, because I have a Savior. And that's not what you were meant. You were meant to break the cycle. You have to, there's not, this is not rocket science. Hezekiah broke down the stuff that was built up the generations before, and they prayed. They sought God, they brought things into order. No one was willing to do that. That's what had to be done, period. There's only one answer in your life, no matter what you're facing, no matter who it is you're facing, no matter what it is. There's only one answer. You have to break the cycle. What's the cycle? I'm relying on self. I'm relying on others. I'm relying on, I'm relying on AI. AI's doing a better job at telling me, you know, what to think. I don't know what to text. I'm going to click AI now. Now people are using, can we get any lazier? What's AI think a good response would be to this email? Literally. Here's a response that might work for you, and you're like, yeah, that works. Click. There's only one answer. We're not meant to rely on anything else. I'm not saying you can't use those resources. You guys get my point, right? But we need to turn to the Lord. That's the cycle is that we've relied on self, rely on other things, 
and the enemy will just keep coming. He's just going to keep battering. We must finally get into his presence and really call on the Lord. In fact, I even, I'm, I'm almost afraid to say this out loud here or even in the podcast, but you maybe even inherited some bad Christianity. Christianity even mixed with bad theology. I don't know what your upbringing was or where you came from. Sometimes we even we think we're even that we are Christians, but the theology was it's not even word based. It's not really the Lord. And really, Hezekiah had to clean out everything because what had happened is in the previous generations, his father had mixed some things. So it was some God and it was some of the other religions and they didn't even realize, right, that there's all this stuff and you just got to clean it all out. You got to go back to the word. What does the word say? What does God say? What does God want? Not, not, I, listen, and the reason I'm saying is for the statement I just made a moment ago, I could say a statement, I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's a good statement. But that theology is a bad theology, and I just told you why. The statement's not bad, but the theology itself behind it is this cop-out life that, right, I'm just going to get used to being a sinner. And so sometimes we need to go back to even the things we believe. What does the Word say? The Word doesn't say that. It says those words, but it doesn't say that, does it? Amen. All right. Well, I need to lay that groundwork. Who's ready for some deeper things? The word taunt means this. It means to provoke or challenge in a mocking or insulting manner. And a while back, I used this same word taunt to describe Goliath against David. And I think it's a, a good word for what Sennacherib did because it's meant to intimidate. This is really what the enemy does. He tries to intimidate you. He'll try to convince you that what he's offering is better, and what God's offering is a joke, all right? And it's, it'll make a, try to make a mockery of God. You can just see that in society today. They're not, you know, no one's parading themselves around saying, we worship Satan, we represent the devil, are they? And yet, the, the, the ideologies of the world that we live in today is so satanic. I'm not saying that America is evil. I'm not saying that the world is evil. I'm just saying humanity is inherently evil. And if you give it time, it's just going to get darker and darker and darker. And so in our culture today, where we see very clearly that everything is against God. It's a mockery of God. And it's, and, and it's a very obvious mockery of everything that God has said. His entire Bible is literally just being, they're like putting it through a paper shredder. Little by little, it's just being broken down and mocked. And this is what he's doing. He's trying to get in. And, and Judah's kind of like the last stand. Everybody say the last stand. This is like, this is the last tribe of all the tribes of Israel. God has worked so hard. That's a funny thing to say, God working hard, because God's just God. But he's also worked hard here. He has, got, he has sent so many prophets. He's given them so much grace. He's given them so much mercy. It's unbelievable. He freed them from Egypt, then taught them his ways through the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, and subdued the land through Joshua, and then so on and so forth. You know, had good times and bad times. David 
brought the kingdom into order. Solomon, you know, expanded the kingdom, and then already there, you know, he starts falling, and then someone would come back up who was good, and then another would raise, be the king that was bad. And, but God has given them so much grace, so much mercy. God's, God's desire is not really to judge you. His desire is not to send anyone to hell. That's what the word says. But to, that it says that all would be saved. That's his desire. He doesn't want to judge. But finally, he must. And what's crazy is we don't, again, just like I don't quite, I don't fully understand my existence, I don't need to. I just know that he saved me, redeemed me, set me here, and he wants me to be light, so that's what I'm going to be. I'll find out a little bit more when I get to heaven of what it all meant. Amen? Can we be okay with that? In the same way, I don't understand every reason why the devil is still allowed to prowl around, right? I don't need to worry about that now. I just, I could either just ignore him and think he doesn't exist, or I can accept the fact that he's trying to destroy, he's trying to infiltrate the last stand, the church, right? The world is already his. There's one last little group of people left that have not bowed, and it's us, the church. And so he comes to try to make you feel like an idiot. Who's feeling, listen, who just wants to be honest with me and honest with yourself that sometimes, I'm talking, I love the Lord and I love his word, but sometimes I have to go back and read the scripture again to just make sure that I'm okay, that I'm thinking the right things because the world's ideologies are so opposite. They're so opposite that I'm, that I'm like, well, I need, to, I need to make sure that I'm not in error here. You shouldn't need, we shouldn't need to do that. When I'm in, we're in such darkness that they make you feel like, well, these are just people. And, you know, phrases like love is love. I'm not saying I agree with it, but, you know, they, they pound it through. They just pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. And then, then you'll hear a Christian say to you, well, they love each other. I got to go back to my word. I mean, I, I already know what I think. Go back to my word and see, wow. I mean, yeah. So, and, you know, this is why what he does is to try to make you feel like, you don't know what to think anymore. You don't know what's truth. You don't know what's real. And so there's this intimidation. And I feel like as Christians, it is, uh, I don't know, I haven't lived in other generations. You know, so all I can, all I can speak for is my own. Except it's, it seems like we, have, we need to face, we're facing more opposition, at least in ideology, than ever before. We've all, there's, we've had crazy, crazy times. Communism tried to take over the world a hundred years ago. All right, it's trying again. It tried and supposedly was defeated. You know, we can see its roots still in the earth trying to come back again, right? I'm not saying communistic nations. I mean, there was a, there was a plan to communize the whole earth, right? That was their plan, right? And it, and it was defeated. World War II, right? We're free. And yet, we see these things are coming back again. So I see that there's these ideologies that are, that are creeping in and they're knocking at the doors of Christians' lives and it's gonna, you're going to stand out more than ever. You're going to feel isolated more than ever. 
You're going to feel crazy more than ever. And that's okay. You need to come to terms with the fact that it's okay that I feel crazy. It's okay. Because this is what my word said would happen. They crucified Jesus, the Son of God. Come on, don't forget. Don't forget, even the Son of God was put on a cross. And Jesus said, he warned them. He said, I'm telling you these things now. He says, I'm telling you in advance so that you won't be afraid. You won't be surprised so that you'll have peace. I'm sending the helper ahead, by the way, right? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And what was his job? To remind that initially, he's with us as well personally, but initially was so the disciples could pen down the words Jesus said. He said, I'll remind you of the things I've said. Why was that important? Because the word would be the thing that would give you comfort. It would be your anchor. It would be the only thing. What else is there? If we don't hold to this word and we just start saying, well, I believe in this Jesus and that Jesus, and if we start compromising, where does it end? What Jesus do you end up with? Do you end up with Muhammad's Jesus? Because that's what that was. It was a compromise. In 700 AD, he's, you know, suddenly Jesus is not Jesus, the Son of God. He's a prophet. And so they rewrote the Bible. This is history. I'm not making this up. They're, they can't even deny this. This is their own history. They might not say it in this tone. But 700 years after Christ, let's just rewrite the Bible. And it's not God, it's Allah, and so on, and he's a prophet. And this, this is why, so he's, he's standing at the gates trying to batter his way in, and the Bible says in James 5, it says that the earnest prayer of a righteous man, verse 16 the earnest prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, has great power and produces wonderful results. I, Elijah was as human as we are, or it says he has his nature like us, right? He's just like us. He was just like you. There's no difference between him and you sitting here today. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. See, the taunt of Sennacherib was about to meet a formidable force. And the formidable force was not Hezekiah, and, and ready for something, it's, it's so close to heresy, it's almost heresy, and yet it's not. It's not even God. The force that he was about to meet wasn't Hezekiah, and it wasn't God yet. It was prayer. As I started to say, I don't quite understand it all, but I'm here on the earth, God's on his throne. And God is still God with or without me, isn't he? And yet, Elijah was a man just like you and I, the Bible says, and he was given a job and something changed in his environment. The earth around him changed when he listened to what God said, but then spoke out. He prayed and something out of his mouth changed the world. When Hezekiah began to pray, then God stepped into the story. I don't, again, we just want to say, well, God, why don't you just step into the story without us praying? This is what we all say, right? Why do I need to? And again, that's an argument that would, I don't even know if we would have, ever have enough time in this life to try to debate that answer. I know this. I know that there is a force against us, against this church, against what we believe, against the word of God. 
And I know that the Lord has called me to stand with it and to preach it and to not be afraid to stay steady with it. And he's called me that when I go to prayer, that then God steps in. And for whatever reason, he doesn't step in until I do that. The person does not get saved until they hear the gospel. They have to hear it. We have to pray. We have to do the action, right, Jeannie? We have to do the action required for God to move. Now, I'm going to keep getting into this for the next few minutes. As we, as, are we getting anything? Is this coming together? Anybody getting anything out of this? All right, so I don't, I don't necessarily, we don't have time, and I don't want to read his taunt. As I said last week, he gives this whole huge taunt, and he basically, I'll just sum it up saying, you know, who do you think, basically, Sennacherib, his message to Hezekiah is, who do you think you are? You're not going to be able to stand against me. And you know what? You need to come to terms with this. You are no match for Satan. I'm no match for Satan. He was actually spitting out facts. I'm no match for Satan, but Christ is. And Christ is in me, right? It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. He was spitting out facts. Who do you think you are, Hezekiah? And then he tells, speaks to the whole nation. He says, don't, you know, I don't want you to intimidate my people. You can talk to me. Don't talk to them. And so they, he blatantly speaks in Hebrew to them on purpose so that they hear it to try to intimidate the whole nation. Don't listen to this guy. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's a liar. Don't think that God's going to do this. And then he twists the whole thing up. You know what he says? He says, isn't Hezekiah the one that took all the gods and crushed him? See, this is what the enemy does, tries to confuse you. Try to confuse the people and think, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, Hezekiah did do that. Hezekiah did take all the, other, all the, all the worship places are gone. And he says, he's only letting you worship in one place in Jerusalem, which was the right way, by the way. The only way, but they were used to all these other ways. See, you have all these ideologies floating around in your mind, and then sometimes the preacher says something, and then the enemy says, yeah, but. Says something like, love is love. And then you're like, well, huh, wait a second. That's why we need to come back to the truth. What is the truth? Because this is where he's going to try to come in. So he does this whole taunt. Again, like I said, I, we don't have more time to go into it. But Hezekiah does this. Firstly, we need to state this, that Hezekiah had faithfully put everything in order that had been out of order, as we've been already discussing last week and this week. We call on the Lord, we repent, we say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm bringing this now 2024, right? Let's take Hezekiah's story. This is what I do, right? Lord, I repent Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Do something in my life. And we take the chaos and the mistakes and all the stuff that we've inherited in our culture and how we grew up and all this, and we give it to the Lord. And now I'm safe in Christ. But listen, just because you're safe in Christ does not mean you are excluded from the enemy seeking territory in your life. Just because you're safe in Christ does not mean you are excluded from the enemy seeking territory in your life. He lost a good soldier when he lost you. He wants you back. 
He wants your turf. You were good at bringing darkness into the world around you. And so he's going to come back. And he's going to come to test the strength of your faith. And God allows him because that's when we really get to know God. Our Bible says it. Your faith needs to be tested. It's not even God. It's not God testing you. The Bible says, right, says God doesn't test. God doesn't tempt. He really doesn't. It's really, it's not even really Satan doing it. Right? James says it's our own desires. But Satan's hoping that you turn to him, right? That your desires overwhelm you. And God has given you every single resource, including his own son, his blood, the Holy Spirit, the church, the word, prayer, etc., that you'll choose him. And it's that simple. Some choose him, some don't. Isn't that amazing? But God allows him so that our faith is tested. It's like this. I was thinking it's such a strange analogy, but maybe it'll make sense to you. But it just popped into my mind, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to share it. I'm going to share it. All right? You're this interesting craftsman, and you're in your garage, and you build a canoe. All right? So what do you do when you build a canoe? What's the first thing you're going to do? Anybody? Take it to some water. Let's go see if this thing works. Now, when you find a hole in it, do you get angry and scrap it and throw the whole thing out? Not, not since you put all that time into it. You take it back and you fix it. When our faith is tested, it's not so God can say, let's see, <laughs> let's see how you get out of this one. That's not what God's doing. It's not even the devil. Devil's just hoping that you get so frustrated and get so angry that you break the thing that God's put so much time into building because you can't control your anger and can't control your emotions. And the Lord's just saying, it's okay. It's just a little hole. Let's fix it. Let's bring you back out. So God allows the enemy, even though the enemy is seeking territory that's God's, God allows it so that we do what? Well, what did Hezekiah do? So that we call on the Lord. That's the, the real reason you have faced. Listen, you may not like this answer because you're like, are you telling me that God allowed me to get into this hell of a situation just so I would call on him? Yes. I'll say that that boldly. Yes. Because my entire word is filled with hell of a situation. I mean, just time and time again so that people would call on him, trust him, stand in their faith, stay steady, etc. The whole hall of faith is about people that stayed steady when hell itself railed itself against them. So don't be surprised when you say, Lord, I love you. You're here, in, you're here on Sunday. Oh, I praise you. I love you. It's so great. And then you leave, and he comes battering at your gates. That every, it's all a lie, it's all fake, it's all theatrics, this is an old archaic book, you know, and whatever lie, I don't know what works for you, and I don't want to try to say it, whatever that thing is. But I'm going to close with this, Hezekiah comes, this is the response that we all need to do today. Whatever it is, wherever you're at in your life, you may already know him, he wants to know you more. 
The enemy will not, just as God doesn't let you go, the enemy's not letting you go. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the enemy says, it says, the Bible says the angels came and they comforted him, but he says he left for a more opportune time, which meant he's coming back. There's nothing to be afraid of. Listen, we don't have, right, we say faith over fear. We state those statements, but then it's hard to live it. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not telling, this is not a sermon to be afraid of the enemy. They just, oh man, when's he coming back? The answer is always the same. It's the same when he's not, doesn't seem to be present. I'm in God's presence. I'm trusting God. I'm loving God. I'm praising him. I'm praying to him. I'm in his word. I'm around his believers. Come on. If, now, if you're not in those things, when the enemy comes, it's going to be a lot harder. Now you have to do all of that from scratch. Now, if I've been in a pattern, come on, this is why. Hezekiah wasn't defeated. Why? Come on, what's the real, why did God, why did his prayer, listen, we don't have time. 2 Kings chapter 19, he tears his clothes, I'll just tell you. He gets the priests together, he calls the prophet Isaiah, and he says, we're praying. Guess what, nation, we are praying. And then he takes the letters, and what's he do in verse 14? You don't have to put it up there. He spreads them out before the Lord, in verse 15 he prays. And then he begins to just tell God about how big he is. And God, you're the only God. There is no other God. And of course, that he conquered all these other nations because they didn't really know God. They didn't have, those weren't gods that he was breaking down. Those were just idols. And goes on and just tells and says to the Lord, you know, uh, for, your, for, for your honor, for your sake, and, 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 and giving God all this praise and honor. Uh, we're going to rely on you and trust in you. The message comes back that not even an arrow is going to touch this touch these walls and more amen but what is it what what happened why his prayer because hezekiah had already put the nation in order he had put things in order and i closed with this last week but you can go and read it in chronicles in chronicles uh, chapter 32 you actually see and in fact, the word chronicles means a chronicling, right? Like it's a, it's a log. It's a little bit different than kings, right? It's telling, sometimes the details aren't in one story or the other. This is just kind of a reminder of the story. It's a little bit abridged than kings. And what it tells us, it skips Hezekiah's mistakes earlier. And what it tells us is that he goes and he gets, his, he gets the soldiers ready. He creates weapons. He cuts off water for the enemy, and he does all these things so they could be prepared and then goes into prayer. So he did the things in the natural, and he did the things in the spiritual. And so when he began to pray, Hezekiah wasn't praying to a God that he had to dig up and find. He wasn't crawling into a church one day and just saying, God, I made a mess of, of this situation, and, and where are you? Although the Lord would love you and, and pick you up right there, of course he would. But his life was, they already had things in order, so when the enemy came up against them, they just did what they've already been doing. Amen. And the reason that this sermon is so important is if you are waiting for a worse situation to happen, to finally call on the Lord or get closer to the Lord, you're just setting yourself up for disaster. You need to get things in order now. Get things into position 
So they had a temple to go to pray to. Get yourself a temple to go and pray to, right? He had a place to go. It was already in order. He respected the prophet. He was already on call. Amen. Do you get what I'm saying? So there are things the Lord is calling us into, some calling us into uh, bringing some things into order, uh, bringing some things uh, back to uh, position in your life. You know, maybe you've given some, given over uh, areas to the devil. You don't realize it, but you have not been trusting God in this area or that area. Maybe your mind's running rampant. Maybe, you know, you allowed sin into your life and you know it. It's time to put these things back into order, put things into check, because the enemy is coming like a fury. And when he comes and batters on your gates, there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm in the peace and safety of the walls of Judah, right? Literally, Judah, right? Uh, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm in his, I'm on God's turf, and I'm safe in this place. And you can yell at me, and you can make fun of me, and you can tell me I'm a, uh, that I'm the liar when you're the liar. You can make us look like the hypocrites when you're the hypocrites. You can call us the cynics and the skeptics. And, uh, and uh, there's this other word I'm thinking of. Call us the, uh, there's one specific word that they like to call us, the bigot. Which is ironic because the word bigot means I don't accept anything but what I believe. But they certainly don't accept Christ. So who's the bigot? I think I messed up some words there. <laughs> but the Lord is with us. I'm going to say what I began the sermon with. The Lord is with us. He is with us. He's with you. No matter what you're in, no matter what you're facing, God is with us. Just one answer. So simple. Just get into his presence. Call on the Lord. That's it. It's that simple. I like to think of the guy, he's on the cross. We don't quite know what he was there for, but probably murder. Jesus is on the cross, and on one side of him, there's a guy who's committed some crimes deserving of death. He's death penalty. He's being crucified as well, and he's just looking at Jesus like, you know, you're supposed to be, or I'm supposed to be here, and it's just a big joke. He's mocking. He's like, save yourself. And then the other guy says, don't you realize who this is? I'm the one with sin, not him. And when he realizes that, he says, remember me. Remember me. It's such a simple salvation prayer. Remember me. He, his heart was obviously broken and humble. And Jesus says, today we'll be in paradise together. See, to come to the Lord at any point in our life is that simple. It is that simple. In the same way, no matter where you're at, no matter what it is in your life, no matter what you're facing, it's the same thing that he did on that cross. Lord, this is what I'm facing. I'm literally, right now, I'm facing a cross. Whatever it is, Lord, you're the only answer. And Jesus said, you'll be in paradise with me. That's the answer. He's the answer. Amen. We just thank you, Lord, for this word. And I pray you just seal it into our hearts. Take this word, Lord, and just plant it deep inside of us. Let it grow into life, Lord. Let it be seed that grows into a tree of life within us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.